If you are planning for a year, sow rice. If you're planning for a decade, plant trees. If you're planning for a lifetime, educate people. Strikers, let's find out how a shepherd prepares his flock for a lifetime, next on The Mighty Anvil. God, you are my smith. Forge me into the servant that you would have me be. Hit me hard enough to brush the scale and impurities from my life. Draw out my life to the length that you would have it. Make me tough enough to resist persecution, and temper me so that I am hard enough to withstand my temptations. Lord, as I go through life, put me back in the fire from time to time to repair me as I get blemished with sin. And when my life is over, and the fires of life are all quenched, grant me a home with you in heaven. Amen. Amen. All right. So brushing. Um, For the brushing this week, we just want to inform our listeners, the strikers, that if you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to email us at at mightyanvilpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any topics you want us to cover, um, I'm actually curious to know know, how you found out about us, you know, who, who, who told you, what platform you listen on. And other than that, you can find us on Instagram at Mighty Anvil Podcast. Right on. Okay, so for our guest, um, just a couple points here. He served in the United States military. Uh, he was instrumental in helping my bride and I during our search for a new church home uh, in making that decision, you know, helping us to, to come to the decision that we needed to come to. And he is a source of knowledge, inspiration, and encouragement for our pastor at Grace Point Family Church. So, welcome to the podcast, Pastor James Hutchins. Yeah. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, you know, just in the couple of minutes that uh, I've gotten to talk to you, uh, yes, wow, love the passion. Yeah. I love the message. I mean, we've only been talking for maybe 10 minutes, and I've already fallen in love with you. Is that okay? To- <laughs> That's all right. In the Lord, man, it's good. It's good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's nothing secret or no closets here. So. No, sir. Right on. Um, so, yeah. So um, Scott was saying earlier, and we've told our other guests that we're a core values-based podcast. And so give us your top three core values. So mine are a little different. Okay. Uh, based on my personality, I'm 58, 59 next month. But in this season, I am walking in risk-taking, some call, or trailblazing. Mm-hmm. In doing things that scares people as a pastor or church. Because walking by faith is hard. And so for me, trust is essential. I've discovered it's easy to trust where you've been. It's hard to trust where you haven't been, particularly when you're going through. Mm -hmm. So trust, uh, being vulnerable, uh, consistent. Uh, you, you, You need consistency. Without consistency, you can't depend. You have no dependability. And, and, and so I, I've learned to be vulnerable. Uh, I'm striving to be consistent, strong, uh, and, and uh, just open. Okay. So to do things you've not done before requires a dependency on God. And so my core values may not line up, but it is tied to Proverbs 3. Striving to daily, Lord, help me to trust you in the areas, either one, I don't want to, or two, the areas I don't know how, or both. Because sometimes I don't want to trust God. I want to do what I want to do, my way. 
and to do it his way, I have to let go of me and trust him. Mm. Notice what I said. Sometimes I don't want to trust him. Not that I don't want to, but I don't know what he wants for me always. Right. <laughs> and to be honest, I like to kind of be in control. And to give up control means saying, Lord, not my will, but I'm going to trust you with all my heart. Help me not to lean to my understanding. Help me in my ways, all of them, to acknowledge you why that you may direct my path. Mm. That's good. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that most of us have an issue with uh, being out of control. I mean, I hate to drive uh, the, the passenger seat, yeah. <laughs> especially when my daughter's driving. I really need control at that time. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that, uh, and, and I wonder, as you were saying that, I wonder what percentage of Christians are actually have that same same uh, same thought process, mm. and or how many actually don't have a problem with it. And I, I'd almost say that that percentage is pretty small on the other end of it. I will say this, in 36 years of ministry, most people struggle trusting God, but have not mastered asking him to help them to trust. Because crisis brings out everything in me, and it exposes what's not in me that, I, that I'm acting like is. Hmm. And so pain reveals the real me. And at that point, people will get angry with God. Some stop going to church, some stop praying and walking away. But if God has tailor-made a trial for me, shouldn't I go with it? And yet, oftentimes, we fight God for putting us through something that's hurting us. When we've told him, Lord, help me to grow, help me to whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay, son, this is going to require a little, little bruising here. You're going to be fine. But you may get burned on, on, on the hand a little bit. Your knee may get skinned up a little bit. But if you'll trust me, you will be a better you. Well, I want the better me without the scarring. Mm, yeah. I want the better me without the pain. And, Lord, if you really love me, why are you hurting me? Why are you letting me go through this? Why are you, well, son, for you, if you were already there, I wouldn't need to put you through anything. <laughs> but because you're not there. I have to put you in the gym of life, and I'm your coach, and them heavy weights you've not lifted before mm-hmm. is going to cause you some pain thereafter. That becomes a trust issue, and we struggle trusting God in pain. You know, when you say that, the first thing that pops to my mind is the, the coaches that I respected the most were the ones that pushed me the hardest. <laughs> yes. You know, and uh, – I knew I knew what they were trying to achieve out of me, and the ones there was one coach that was like, eh, you know, whatever, you know, and I didn't grow there, right. and don't we all want to grow? And yeah, that was I love that analogy. No, that's good. I also remember when I was younger playing soccer, and we had one coach that I mean, we ran drills all the time, all the time. You didn't like him sometimes. We had, no, we didn't like him sometimes. <laughs> we had a couple guys that, that dropped off the teams, and well, I can't do this anymore. But then you realize that. When you get in the game, you're not as tired. You're able to outrun the other team, and yes. then and then it, and then it clicks. You're like, oh, this is why we run all these drills. He's mm-hmm. building our endurance. Like, okay, so now we can outrun this other team. That's why we win, or sometimes we still lose. But, and I use the word building a better me, mm-hmm. because when I'm out of shape, that's not my best me. Right. When I'm a crybaby, whiner, quitter kind of guy, that's not my best me. 
no one wants to, <laughs> no one wants to hang around those those people. It's <laughs> it's hard. So, yeah, definitely being a leader. Do you have a uh, core scripture? I just I did. I oh. really I really love Proverbs three. Uh, my brother was murdered in '92, and I did his eulogy, but I didn't know how to grieve. So in the process of grieving, I got angry with God. I didn't, I'd never been there before. And I quit preaching for about two weeks until the Lord in my spirit gave me a mini Job situation because I confessed that I didn't like the Lord for letting my brother be murdered. I'm being transparent. And I was angry with God for letting that happen. But I learned that I had to ask him to help me to trust him. I didn't know how in that. And I've gone through several difficult challenges in my life over the years, and I didn't know how to trust God in those. And so I've learned when I don't know what to do, ask for help. And just being vulnerable, saying, Lord, I'm struggling trusting you here because you're hurting me, but help me to trust you. So Proverbs 3 has really become a sounding board for my soul. I like that because I, I think a lot of us men, we have trouble. I know I do have trouble asking for help. And it always is when we need it, too. When we don't need it, we're, we're fine. But when we do need help, we don't want to ask for help. Because we, we think, oh, thing. it's going to make us look weak, or we, it's going to make us look uneducated. We don't know what to do. And it's like, no, just it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to, to pray to our Father and ask him, hey, help me. I need help with this. Cause I, I can't do it on my own. When you uh, were going through that time, when did you know that uh, the answer to what you will I guess you kind of answered that, but so you gave up preaching for two weeks. Quit. Quit. Just quit. Leave me alone. Don't want to be bothered. So what was that moment or when did you know that, okay, now, now I understand the answer to why, you know, so let me back up. Why did you quit? What was that? What was the reason for that? So when, first of all, at 29 at the time in 92, shh. Someone else's brother is supposed to be murdered, not mine. Mm-hmm. You know, that don't happen to me. That's mm-hmm. TV, that's you, someone else. So when, when I became everybody else, I'm thinking, God, I'm serving you. I'm, 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 I'm preaching, I'm teaching, I'm, I'm striving to keep my flesh in line. And you're going to let this happen? How, how can I trust you? And that's why I quit. Because I, 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 I grew up without a father. And that became, for me... And psychologically, you like my dad. You, you let me down. Hmm. And that was a big letdown to lose your brother. He was shot five times with a forty-five, And, and wow. to read the autopsy report and see what a forty-five does to a body, I couldn't grasp, God, why would you let him die that way? He was only 26. Yeah. And so having not been there before, having not, my sister was killed two years later. I was a different me. But this first rodeo broke me. When did you know that uh, you would be back into preaching? What, what was the moment that said, oh, okay, I have the answer and why, I'm, why I went through that? Why? And how would you help someone else go through that situation? I'm different than most in that I'm brutally honest with myself about myself. The ugliest me I'm honest with me and God about. And I just told the Lord, I don't like you. And then it hurt, and I was ashamed to admit to my Heavenly Father that I did not like him 
But the truth is, in that moment, I didn't like God. And so if I'm having a moment of reality, I express it. And, and, and I'm, I'm hurting and embarrassed to tell God, God. Now, I'm not talking about a person telling my provider, my, my everything, my Savior, that I don't like you. I mean, that, to even use those words now makes me cringe. <laughs> yes, but the I fact understand. is, that's how I felt because I was hurt. And hurt brings out you that's not exposed. Hurt brings out you that you try to hide. Mm. Hurt, hurt is you uh, zero together, broken. And in that brokenness, in revealing things, I began to realize that he was God's son more than he was my brother. And God had the right to do what he wanted. And this is what I really discovered. Heaven knew he only had 26 years. Earth just didn't get the memo (laughs) until the day of. And once I realized if it's truly appointed unto man once to die, I wanted 50, 100 years with my brother. But the gift of God, him to me, was only 26 years. And working through that mindset made me drop to my knees. I almost want to cry now and confess, I'm sorry. He was yours. And from God's perspective, God is not concerned how we die. It's just death. Because once we die, it's, it's over. It's a different. On, on, on earth, how we die matters. Well, God's going to give me a glorified body. It doesn't matter what happens to this one from his perspective. Mm, right. He's in result focus. I'm right now focused. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where'd what, you grow up? Mississippi, born, raised in Marion, Indiana. Joined the Navy at 17 in 1979. Indiana. Not much ocean around there. No ocean. Here, here's, a, here's a quick story. I'm 18, just turned 18, graduated boot camp school. I'm in a cab from the airport driving to Norfolk Naval Base, the largest naval base in the world at that time, probably still is. And I'm sending infrastructure, gray infrastructure. Well, I'd never seen a ship before. And I asked a cab driver, I said, what is that over there in the distance? He looks in the mirror. I'm wearing my little, my little, my little Cracker Jack uniform. <laughs> and he says, those are ships. Embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> aren't you in the Navy? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I'd never seen this ship before. Not in the distance. What made you want to join? My father, who I wasn't raised with, my grandmother, in hopes of bridging the gap between he and I at age 16, took me to stay with him. My dad got me a job as a garbage man. He worked for the city. He felt I was soft. And this is old school garbage man, unlike my neighborhood where there's a garbage truck with an automatic machine that comes comes out. out. I was the arm (laughs) and I was the lifter of the trash can. And so after about a month of dumping trash and smelling right behind that garbage truck and smelling like everything, I told my dad, "I'm, I'm, I'm done. He said, no, you're not. He said, you're not done. You're going to work. And he made me work through the summer. And at the end of the summer, he said, son, he said, in your hometown, there are factories. And he said, you're not a factory guy. He said, you're not a college guy. He said, I was in the Army. You're not an outdoors guy. He said, you need to join the Navy. So I go back to Indiana. I'm walking from my house to my uncle's house down the street. And I see this cute girl in some shorts. 
who I'm now married to 38 years later. Wow. But trying to impress her, mm-hmm. I tell her I'm joining the Navy. No understanding of what that is. But when she was impressed, I told Mama, Mama, I want to join the Navy. Mama said, no, son, you're 17. You ain't going. You're not joining. No, Mama, please. So for two <laughs> weeks straight, I begged Mom to let me join the Navy. And she finally did. So a girl and my dad... Yeah, I Led love me it. to the Navy. I love that you, you uh, were trying to impress a young lady uh, saying that you were going to the Navy and didn't know what a ship was. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. We're idiots. I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, that's, I love that. Um, your childhood, you'd said that you didn't grow up with your dad. Uh, so who was your mentor? Who kind of molded you back in the, in the early formative years? I never had one. It wasn't until I joined the Navy and really white men. Uh, because the Navy is predominantly white. And my first shop, my first job was, there was 30-some men, and I was the only black in the shop. Mm. And that was a culture shock. But in working with them, and I'm the youngest too at 18, first of all, I discovered men are just men. But they took me in and began to chisel things off of me. And then just growing up with men who had fathers and watching how they responded. One issue I had is emotional leakage. Uh, to be overly emotional is a feminine trait. And there are, I'm, I'm, I'm still emotional. And that's a human trait, but to be overly emotional, that's not good for a man. And I would get emotional about everything. And I didn't understand that was abnormal behavior. But being around solid men who didn't react the way I did and checked me on my emotional leakage, often I realized you gotta, you can't cry, whine every time something goes on. You can't lose it. Yeah. And, and so men helped me uh, over the 20 years of the Navy grow to being a man. Hundreds and hundreds of men thousands of watching observing in the church and on ships yeah, i'm curious so um in the times that we live with it seems like there's uh some separation and it's growing mm-hmm. was there something um that you learned about a- around white men that was like oh that's that's not what i have had thought about them is there something that you learned from them or something that so i'm a little different my grandmother in Mississippi cleaned houses of white people. We live in a deep, deep country. So means of incomes were limited. Mm-hmm. So she cleaned houses. But the people she worked for loved her, like loved her. The kids she helped raise, even in adulthood, when she died, they cried like I cried. She was like their, their grandmother. She would put me in their beds like the husband wives of of, you know, prominent people, she would put me in their bed when I went to sleep. And so my understanding of race was different as a kid because mm-hmm. of her. And so going into the Navy, I already understood people were people. And then I understood there were racist whites, but there were also racist blacks. My brother was murdered by a black guy. My sister was beat to death by a black guy. And so I can't make a person the whole of a race no more than I want to be made the whole for a race. If I do something stupid as a black, that's not the whole black race. Mm -hmm. 
And so if a one black guy or a hundred does something stupid, that's not the whole white race. Amen. And then some of the greatest mentors I've had have been white men. I've had brothers blacks too, but, but some have been white men who love me more than my own family, sacrificed for me in ways that I'd never been sacrificed before, not having been raised with men. That's good. So would you say you learned most about manhood in the Navy? Almost everything uh, in the Navy. But getting saved at 20, going to church and becoming a Christian helped forge me as well. Because in the Navy, I was carnal. Drugs, alcohol, promiscuity. And so I'm growing up as a man, but carnal man. Getting saved early let me know the difference between carnal man and spiritual man. I want to ask another, uh, when did you know? When did you know you were going to be a pastor? I think, so our church is 14 years old. Uh, I pastored a small church in 96, 97. I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) But I failed miserably. In two years, we took in one family. And this was a small church. So that's failure. And we baptized no one in two years. And transitioned from Pensacola, Florida to here, Dallas in 2000 after I retired. About a year after being here, I felt a tug to start a church. So where do you pastor out of now? We're in Frisco. Um, We're on the west side of Frisco. New Life Community Church. Tell me, uh, tell us a little bit about your church. What, uh, I'm not sure how to ask that question, but yeah, just uh, kind of tell us about your congregation, uh, what, what your ministry focuses on. To be honest, um, this has been a journey for me. Um, pastoring is a job I wouldn't recommend anyone do <laughs> unless they're really called by God. Most people get into ministry for the wrong reasons. And I'm discovering self-preservation is not ideal for ministry because ministry is others and God first, you second. So we're endeavoring to be a community church. And we're in a, a predominantly white community, uh, like, like 90, 99%. Well, 98 because we got Indians there. But it's a very high uh, Caucasian community, and we're tucked in there. And in order to be a community church unto the Lord, I'm a kingdom guy, so to speak. Mm. Work for a king. So kingdom trans, trans, uh, is greater than my race. Because yes. in heaven, tribes, nations of one will be there. Amen. So we're building a community church, as in we've got a community garden coming. We have an event center we're building now. We're, we're going to have a sports field. We've got 22 acres on our property to be a not named community church, but to be a true community church. We have a gymnasium now and kids, community kids who are on basketball teams practice there. And many of them are white kids uh, in a predominantly black church. Well, that's kingdom and that's community. I like that. Yeah. Uh, what's the point or what's the purpose of the fields? The sports fields? Yeah, the sports fields. Community. Um, for me, younger me, poor me, didn't have access to the community that I'm living in. And so we will have six type of sports, but we'll be in a position as a church to bring in pro athletes to do sports camps 
Nice. And younger me, poor me, welfare me without a father me can come for sponsorship free. And I really want poor kids to have the same leverage. Now, that's a small, you know, my sphere of influence is small, but in my little corner of the globe, I want to I wanna reach out to poor kids, which is why we have a community garden. Uh, I want, we're giving away free food to the community for younger me, uh, poor kids. And so everything I'm doing now, older me, is trying not to forget younger me. It's easier today living in the suburbs, nice car, the girl, the house, et cetera, to become that entity and be the man. But younger me can identify with that. And I don't want to forget younger me, so to speak, because Jesus saved younger me and died for younger me, not just this older me, educated me, little polished me, but he died for the guy who smoked marijuana. He died for the guy who drank, died for the guy who had issues. And so I'm extremely in tune with people who were, were younger me, if you will. You had said something about taking out, you, you worked as a uh, trash collector for a while. And for some reason, I just see a a pastor taking out trash. I still people. do. I still do. I, no, literally. I cut grass on the church. They don't like it because we have bourgeois folk up here. <laughs> but I still cut grass. I work in the garden. I'm still outdoors a lot. And I'm attached to outdoors based on younger me, so to speak. Where I was going with that was, uh, you know, people have trash and stuff inside of them. And I can see you kind of still in that role other than not physically taking out trash, but spiritually taking out trash and leading your flock and removing that. And you're still doing that, even though you didn't like the smell of it sometimes. Oh, that's a good question. How do you keep that from affecting you? You know, when a psychologist or counselors always need to see a counselor Mm -hmm. because of uh, sometimes that stuff affects them so that they need to get that out. Who do you, uh, who do you talk to, to kind of get that out of you? So I'm a little different in that being on ships taught me how to think through. Because when you're 10,000 miles away and you've got nothing but water and you've been gone for five months and you've not seen your wife and the last thing you want to do is be on a ship for another day, it's almost like being in prison. I've learned to enjoy being alone and thinking through things. Because being on ships and all that water, because you're around guys all the time, I would just steal away and go into a corner of the ship and just sit and look at the water and think through my problems, my fears, my concerns. And I still do that now. So working outside allows me to think through my insecurities, my, my sinful nature, my lust pockets that I have from time to time, my anger, whatever it is. Well, talking about ships, let's uh, talk about Anchor FM and uh, take some. I take a little break and get some bills paid. So, Strikers will be right back. Hey, Alan. Ooh, wait a minute. I just come by to see what was going on, but man, it looks like you got something uh, something brewing here. What's uh, what you got going on? Yeah, man. As you can see, these storms that we've had lately have just completely wrecked my place. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. Looks like you got someone out here pretty quick, though. Yeah, I got really lucky that they were available, and they're definitely hands-on. 
pun intended. <laughs> I called 214-537-7333, and I asked for Brad Pratt at Legacy General Contracting. If you want, you can also email him at bprattsr at gmail.com. Brad has been involved through the entire process, and it has been absolutely amazing. Nice. Man, if uh, next time these storms come in and I get affected by them, I know who I'm calling. Yeah, definitely. So again, for your contracting needs, contact Brad Pratt at 214-537-7333. And you can also reach him by email at bprattsr at gmail.com. All right, Strikers, we're back. All right, let's get into the meat of the questions here. Yeah, so real quick, I wanted to go back because you had said being away from your wife for five months at a time six. or six or, so yeah. how did you keep your marriage going while you were Ooh, away that's good so twofold i married a virtuous woman because we got a lot of what's called dear john letters guys did out at sea dear john you've been gone and i'm with bobby mm. <laughs> and so there was a lot of that fortunately for me tina was not that kind of woman but secondly as a christian I never went out at night when we went to ports uh, because the freaks come out at night. And, and can I just be transparent? And when you've been gone that long, I don't care who you are. I'm vulnerable just driving sometimes and seeing going to the mall and trying to manage my eyes and my flesh from watching women in spandex or stuff. So being overseas... I just would, I would go shopping during the day. I would do things, but I never one time went out at night when we went to ports. And it kept me from crossing that line because it was in me to cross. How did you build the connection between you and Tina during that time? Letter writing, because back then in the 80s, that was the only method that we had. Unfortunately, it was, it's called snail mail for a reason. Mm. <laughs> uh, she would write me a letter, but I would, it would get it two weeks later. And then I'm responding two weeks after. Well, by then, problems resolved. But it was just faith. And going on back to what I said, Proverbs 3, I literally had to trust God to take care of her and the kids and provide because I couldn't do anything for her back then. I was, I was 10,000 miles away. Did you have anybody that you could have step in for you if there was something that was... So we always strive to find a church, and that became, church for me means more than most people. Church for me is family, even if it's fighting, if it's ugly, if it's, because that's all we had when we moved. We wouldn't have any family in a community. We knew no one. And so getting into a local church uh, with all her flaws became safe and sound and familiar for me. So as a pastor now, what do you find that you pray about most? Today, uh, I pray most about the instability of the modern home, the spiritual inconsistency Mm. of the modern home. And living up in the suburbs, we're tied to stuff and who we are and our kids and sports. And all of that's wonderful but not understanding none of that is going to help you in eternity. Amen. And none of that is going to help you when you're 85. Yeah. Cute's overrated. I like cute, but it's overrated. And, and being the cool kid is overrated. And many today 
or putting our time and energy in stuff that's not going to matter when you're 80. So when you say stuff, you, like material things, material, the house, the cars. Yes. yeah. And I have both nice, but I'm not tied to it. I'm, I'm in this. I'm going to my brother and sister taught me a lesson in 92, 94. I was older than them both two and four years old. I'm going to die. I did 14 funerals uh, since COVID, and I'm going to die. I've done about 60-some funerals. I'm going to die. I've said that three times on purpose. That reality has demanded that I not hold on to stuff this life too tight. Mm. My wife is going to die. I'm going to lose my parents, my kids. It's going to happen unless Jesus comes back. And so I want people as a shepherd, and I'm flawed. I have issues, challenges. But I want people to hold on to something that's going to last as opposed to holding on to things that's not. What do you feel is an area in which you need God's help? Sinning. Being vulnerable. I don't want to commit adultery. It's in me. I'm not an adulterer, but I commit the act. Wrong place, wrong, wrong, wrong. Stealing is not my issue. Um, uh, gambling, drugs, alcohol is not my issue. But I have a propensity. I call it my 90-10 rule. 90% of the time, I don't listen to secular music. I don't, I don't watch HBO. I try to watch what I do. But even with all of that, 10%, dude, I'm as capable as anybody of doing anything. And I'm just being as honest as I can. I don't know the way to be. And managing that 10%, is difficult because being married to the same woman for 38 years, there are just some days I see her and I'm not like, wow, I'm, it's just not there. We won't forward this podcast to her. <laughs> uh, it's just not there. And so managing me when I'm vulnerable and I ask God to help me to keep the lion in the cage, the flesh is a lion. And sometimes the lion in the cage wants to come out. Well, that little two seconds or 10 minutes or 30 minutes, that's not going to matter the after mm. when I got to go home yes. and I got to go to the church. Yeah. So that moment that you crave for, that you desire to have, doesn't match the letdown of the after. So I don't want to sin, but it's in me to sin from a sexual perspective. Porn is real. When we, uh, when we do sin, and speaking of... Well, I guess it's all in one, bo all in one boat. But uh, how do you think that uh, that affects your influence onto your uh, your church, your family? What are you big? I was slandered five years ago. Uh, I uh, got emotionally attached to a young lady, and um, uh, it was through a power struggle in our church. Uh, I was accused of committing adultery. And it went public. There was a flyer with mine, her name on it, that was passed out. It went public. Wow. And, and went, and that was, that was, I quit ministry for four days because I couldn't trust God. I said, Lord, younger me crossed that line. But, 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 at, but I've, been, I've been a good boy for years and years and years. And to be accused of something I didn't do. Really? Really, Lord? And I had to work, but it devastated our church because I'm viewed to be a man of character and integrity. And God gave me a Job situation where he pulled a rug off from under me. And 
I learned through that of being slandered what the word resurrection means. Because five years later, it's like it never happened. God resurrected me. And I asked him to help me to trust him during that season. And I didn't want to. And in trusting God, he restored me. And that foolishness and that dilemma. What do you feel God is working on you now in this season? To be transparent. To be vulnerable. uh, To be okay on a podcast to admit that I lust sometimes, even though that's sinful. To admit that me and my wife argue that we don't have it all together. To admit that I struggle just like every other man, but I spend more time with God and that keeps me from losing my mind. To admit that I don't like my job or people always, even though I love them. I don't like my wife always, but I love her and will die for her. So being honest with myself about myself And then giving that honesty to God to help me to not manifest that out, even though I feel it. So here is the reality. A friend of mine helped me years ago. There was a prominent preacher who failed. He died of an overdose in a hotel in an opposite state, which he pastored. And drugs and a woman where women may have been involved. And I asked him, how could he get there? I mean, we all do stupid, but Mm -hmm. to be doing drugs and women and die from that. And this is what he told me. It changed my life. He said, all of us sinners have a dark side. He said, but some of us have a darker side. And he said, when you are pastor preacher and you're in character 90 some percent of the time, if you don't separate fact from reality that you're just a man human that when you let the animal out of the cage it can go wild and he said and sometimes preachers who aren't real preachers pastors who aren't human so to speak they're an entity in their own mind and one they've created that that they that you that's unsustainable and the genie comes out of the bottle manifested in stuff that's darker as opposed to just dark So I committed to him to being a guy often as opposed to being the entity pastor, Mr. All Together. And so I'm more guy than I am pastor. I just forged the two together to prevent me from pretending to be something that I'm really, really not. How long does it take you to uh, prepare a message? So when Sunday service ends... I'm already thinking about next Sunday's service, sermon rather. I already have an idea what it is, and I'm working on I have to have my message, my points, uh, text, uh, everything to my team by Wednesday evening because I do images, you know, on screen. So they need that in time. So it forces me to have everything to them by Wednesday. I try to do it in advance, weeks in advance if possible. But I, I'm always thinking about the sermon before the sermon. How often does it change? Like you've got an idea what it's going to be, and then the Holy Spirit says, nope, this week we're doing this. Not often. Uh, but I would say in the course of a year, I preach about 30 sometimes a year, 38, 39 times a year, maybe three times out of that. For the most part, 
he keeps me in tune with where our congregation is and what's needed. Now, sometimes the sermon, there are things that, that I had in the sermon from my team didn't come out and other stuff comes in. But the core of the sermon pretty much stays the same. What's uh, been your favorite message to preach on? Anything tied to brokenness, I love preaching on because sin, if you let it, will make you think you're undeserving of the goodness and grace of God. And many people don't live a victorious life because of shame, because of fear, failure, things that we humans do frequently. And, and I like preaching about brokenness because we are resurrected people. If no one else is called to get up, the Christian is called to get up, no matter what he or she's done. And too often, we are not experts at getting up. We are experts at pretending we've gotten up. We're experts at falling down and staying down too long leaving the church for two years because I got hurt. Somebody talked about me or my kid got pregnant and I'm shamed because I'm perfect. No, uh, overcoming stimulates me to talk about because we're over. We say we're overcomers in word, but our actions prove out we're not as good as we say at getting up and overcoming. Go ahead. So what do you like? So, well, earlier you talked about how you like to work in the garden at the church. Mm-hmm. So aside from that, what, do you, what else do you like to do in your free time? Me and Tina are best friends. And so I'm so community ministry minded. I'm a robot, literally. So being home, vegetating in my shorts, uh, watching, we, we watch shows together. Uh, that's just how we roll. And, and I'm a Hallmark guy. Most guys aren't. <laughs> because in Hallmark, the guy always gets the girl 100% of the time. <laughs> nice. I need that because in my job, the guy don't always get the girl. In my job, it don't always work out. So my letdown time is to just vegetate like I don't have a purpose with my, with my wife. Our kids are grown and gone. And then with the grands. Uh, I like my grands better than my kids. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can like, send them home. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Sugar them up. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> my mom would always, uh, we'd go pick up the kids and they've had a cup of coffee uh, some candy, and I'm like, uh, we're going to leave him here for until that wears <laughs> off. But nope, she wouldn't allow us, so we my, took him home. My parents do that now. I'm like, oh, he had yogurt at 10 o'clock last night. I was like, Mom, you can't do that. Yeah, she can, and <laughs> she did. She was like, yeah, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. I remember all those hard times you gave me? This is payback. Oh, yeah. How many kids oh, yeah. do you have? Uh, we have three, uh, 33, 34, and 36. What did you learn about raising them that made that change from – each of your kids being military not having a father as an example younger me wanted them to be perfect Hmm. because my life was not Hmm. and I want I expected things of my I put pressure on my kids that I should not have and I didn't let them in this totality be themselves I wanted them to be this image that I didn't have to be and so I've I've apologized to my children repeatedly for putting something on them I never should have and today I cringe when parents make their kids professional athletes at 10 
And if that's not fun for the kid, that's not healthy. And living vicariously through your child is not healthy. You know, you having a younger son and one on the way, uh, I would say that for me, you know, that's something you really have to look out for is, you know, not putting that on them. They are their own people. You know, when I was 16 years old, I wrestled through high school and college. And um, one of the things that I wanted to do, I could not wait to have a son at 16. Like that was, I could not wait. I couldn't wait to teach him all that I knew and then lift him up and make him better than me. And I was just, I was just, you know, couldn't wait. And then sports is not his thing. Wow. He's, and, and the thing is, he's very athletic. I mean, he skateboards, that kind of stuff. He's, he'll be 16 at the end of this month. He, uh, he's an inch taller than me. Wow. He, we wear the same size pants. Wow. He's um, a big kid. He's a big kid. Uh, and it, you know, just like even today, I still wish, man, because there is no other joy for me than seeing my son play. He's played football. He's wrestled. But it just wasn't his thing, you know. Um, yeah. And it just it, – it's hard, but there was so it's much joy. It's very hard. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. Because you have this image in your mind of what you want your kid to mm-hmm. be. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm but sure my parents did too, yeah. Here's a reality, though. God doesn't force what he wants us to be on us. Now, he can challenge us and break us, but in the end, we have free will. And God is disappointed that sometimes we're not spiritual wrestlers and we're not spiritual football players and we're not spiritual whatever. And some of us are just late bloomers. But in the end, your son's not going to be a pro athlete all his life. Mm -mm. He's going to be who he is all his life. And that's the beauty of them choosing, you know, who they're going to be because that's who they're going to be. It was God's plan, not mine, right? Absolutely. When you uh, you just mentioned uh, we all have free choice. And then there's another group of people that say that it's predestined. Mm-hmm. What is your thoughts on that? I believe in both. I believe that God uh, gives me the choice, but I also believe God has gone ahead and prepared the way for me. And if I divert from what I call perfect will, God has permissive will. And through what God permits, I still come back. I just may wander in the wilderness for 40 years. <laughs> but the yeah. promised land, if that's his intent, I'm going. God does our six-day journey. I can get involved and make it a 10-day journey. <laughs> and oftentimes, we subject ourselves into God's will, and it may be more painful. It may take longer. But ultimately, Dad's going to have what Dad wants. It just may take a minute. That's good. Aside from the Bible, what is your favorite book to read? There is a book. I met her years ago. It was called Anonymous, and it changed my life uh, because she wrote the book from the perspective for 30 years, no one knew who Jesus was. Going to the grocery store as the Messiah, as king, going to the movies, going to the mall, in school, all of this power, authority, majesty, might, And he was a regular dude for 30 years. And so she wrote the book really describing how if we will embrace our hidden years and learn and grow in those because we want to be seen, want to be noticed, want to be invited to the party, cool kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when we're hidden, that's a time to spend with God and discover who he is 
in, in an area that you can't with distractions of being the Messiah holistically, being God, been a non-king, let him become something he could not have been, would not have been had he came as a king. And so anonymous makes me comfortable wearing blue jeans like I have on in a regular shirt and a ball cap out in the community often by my priest called my pastoral collar and my pastoral voice and looking the part. Anonymous is who Jesus was for 30 years and only Savior Messiah for three years. As we wind down, uh, is there something that you would like our listeners to know about whatever? What, what, what is the one thing that... Know that God loves the ugly you. So I would preach in my first 15 years of ministry that God loved, and I was 100% convinced he loved others, loved you. But deep in my soul, I felt he loved only the good me because my dad didn't love me holistically, and my mom didn't know how holistically. And so subconsciously, God only loved me if I was perfect. And yet, I would see myself stumble and bumble, and I would wait on the anvil. I would wait on the hammer. I'd wait on God's hand to pummel me, to pound me, and it never happened. And I came to the conclusion that he really loves the ugly me, not just the good me or the bad me. He loves the ugly me. And it is so liberating in being free to talk to God about your ugly and know that he loves you anyway. So, fellas, God loves the whole of you like a perfect dad loves his child, not just the good you or the bad you, but the worst you he still loves. Man, that is so true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love my kids no matter what, yeah. no matter what. And uh, that's how he loves us. And that's some good stuff. And was that was that uh, intentional there, you talking about the anvil and hammer and all that kind of stuff? Well, no, but I realized when I said it that that's really part of what, what you all are about. So uh, You're just trying to make me fall in love with you. I get it. I get it. I, get it. I do have just some really quick questions. Um, what's your favorite food to eat? Dude, I'm a Navy guy, man. I've ate dog, uh, not knowing. <laughs> I've ate horse. So I'm just a food guy. Now, everybody's mama can't cook. They just think she can. Mm. <laughs> so as long as it's good food by mm. my standard of good, I'm good. Okay. But if your mama can't cook and you think she can, I may not think she's a good cook. Mm. Okay. And uh, favorite movie genre? I like movies with a good ending. I-, I don't like violence. My brother was murdered, as I said. My sister was beat to death. I don't do horror. Uh, any movie that can have me think but not too much because i'm a pastor i spend time thinking but a good ending i want the guy rescued i want the i want the guy to get the girl i want a good ending okay anything else that's it all right so next week we will have pastor earl fitzsimmons uh actually i'm switching it up Uh, okay so we got when this recording goes out we'll have jeremy baker okay after pastor here so it'll be Jeremy Baker, and then we got Earl Fitzsimmons coming up that we'll record. But yeah, yeah. we're we're just kind of planning things out and and getting some things in the can so that we can uh, not have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> and get here and just kind of having it like today. It threw me off. 
Like, like my alarm went off. My alarm went off, too. It's like, uh, I don't have to go anywhere, so I can definitely turn on my 6 o'clock alarm. But, yeah, it was kind of nice. So, uh, Strikers, I might get used to it. We might. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know <laughs> what we're going to do ten. here. But, yeah. yeah, Jeremy Baker will be after this episode. I love Jeremy. He's, he's our prop pastor. Yeah. Uh, pastor awesome. proper. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting to, getting to talk to him. Uh, he's got a message on being a ladder holder that I absolutely love. Talks about, you know, that's just really being being unselfish and helping other people reach the top of the ladder. But uh, Pastor Hutchins, man, uh, well, absolutely loved hanging out with you and getting to know you today. Thank uh, you. I will be seeing you at your place. So the name of the church again is? New Life Community Church. New Life Community Church. And it's Frisco. Frisco. Is there an address? 25631 Smotherman Road. We're on the uh, west side of uh, Little Am. So we're on the border, Little Am, Frisco. Oh, west side of Little Am. Oh, mm-hmm. so. So okay. it's, 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 so you have Frisco and then going west, you have Little Am. So we're right there, literally on the border of both. Okay. We have a Frisco mailbox, but mm-hmm. eight feet in Little Am property. Oh, wow. And that's at, what's the nearest intersection? 423 uh, El Dorado Main Street. Toll Road area, four twenty three North Dallas Toll Road. Yeah, four twenty three. Okay, so four twenty three uh, in, intersects one twenty one North and South. Yep. Okay, and that's not far from where I am. So, okay. um, and then uh, we uh, a tradition we have here is have our guests pray us out. Uh, if you would give us the honor, yeah. gracious Father, Lord bless you so much for time, and for those of us who've wasted and squandered time doing foolishness. Lord, redeem the time. Thank you that you are gracious to us. And thank you, Lord, that goodness is something we really don't understand. We think goodness is getting a car. We say God is good. But you're still good if we don't get the car. Bring us to a point of understanding that you are truly a father. But beyond that, you're a dad. And for those who've never had a true father, help them to see you as one that will love them throughout eternity. And for those who have a father, May they grow in appreciating you beyond their earthly father. So, Lord, bless these men to be lovers, lovers of themselves, lovers of their family, lovers of others, and lovers of you. And then these two endeavoring to educate men through pastors and testimonies. Lord, bless their ministries and bless them to finish strong. We start strong, but bless them to finish strong. And every man put a hedge of protection upon them. And, Lord, if possible, in season, let no weapon formed against them prosper, but bless them going out and bless them coming in and bless them to be lovers of you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Man, what a pleasure and what thank an you, honor. Thank, thank you, you for thank coming. You. All right, Strikers, until next week, we'll see you then. <laughs>